Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to CLNS Radio, your source for all things basketball. You cannot stop this guy. This guy is unbelievable right now, and with the way he's playing, he's played an outstanding brand of basketball. You're trying to tell me he's not the next best thing? What are you hearing? Man, all I know is this guy can fall, and if you can come out and play with him, you can play with anybody in the league. I want your opinion. Call into the show. Why don't you drive the rack? Seriously, why don't people drive the rack more often? You're fed up with this cookie-cutter brand of basketball, not go out and hand check. What are you comparing? The guy's got grit. The guy's got moxie, and the guy's got heart. What more do you want? Broadcast through Blog Talk Radio and CLNS Radio. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome to the Hooper's Log. Here's your host, Simo Buck. They gonna me for my ambition. Welcome on into episode 143 of the Hooper's Log. It is a Monday, May 23rd, 2016, and down the stretch we come when it comes to the conference finals in the NBA. And man, uh, this whole weekend changed a lot of stuff. We came into the weekend expecting game threes, and we got a bunch of storylines on the court, off the court, fine things, uh, Temper tantrums, daycare centers, you name it, all a bunch of stuff going on. Uh, anarchy when it comes to the NBA, and uh, I have an opinion on a lot of the stuff that just got dealt down within the last half an hour. Uh, for those of you listening live, call in. The phone number is 323-642-1558. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, just remember this date in NBA history, May twenty third, 2016. For those of you that don't remember... Back on, what was it, May uh, May 17th, 2007, similar circumstance happened nine years ago, almost to the day, almost to the week of when the circumstance in San Antonio between the Suns and the Spurs happened when Robert Ory hip-checked uh, Steve Nash into the board. Steve Nash nearly broke his nose, and uh, Robert Ory got suspended for two straight games, and the Suns had two guys suspended on pretty much nothing. Amari Stoudemire, Boris Dio were suspended for, I believe it was game five, if I'm not mistaken, um, after the Suns absolutely annihilated the Spurs, and the Spurs found a way to get back into the series and obviously winning it and then winning the title that year in 07. And, and, my, and I'm a Spurs fan. I remember watching that series clear as day, and I, that was the only team I was scared of was the Suns because Steve Nash was so in control of that team. D'Antoni had found a way to really get our team uh, dismantled. And Amari Stoudemire was – people forget, all the young kids out there watching basketball these days, and if you're listening, again, if you'd like to call on the phone number, 323-642-1558. Episode 143 here on the Hoopers Log. My name is Simo Buckets. No Andrew Norris today. He's a very busy man, and he's upset. A lot of people are upset right now with what happened today. We're going to get into it. But back to my point. You know, Boris Diaw, and, and not much, not as much Boris Diaw, but Amari Stoudemire, in many people's perspective in 07, was one of the scariest players in the league that year. And I mean a guy that was just absolutely dominant. People forget now, again, like I said, 10 years ago, you know, people who are kids who are 10, 15, you know, in, in that range of early teens, adolescents, 
you don't remember Amari Stoudemire being the guy he is today. today. He's a guy who steals money from the Knicks and from the Heat, and he's just kind of a generic player. Ten years ago, Amari Stoudemire was an absolute monster. I mean, ten years ago, Amari Stoudemire was the next guy, power forward in the league. Everyone thought he was the next big thing, you know, besides LeBron James. Obviously, LeBron was coming up at the time. But Amari Stoudemire was a freak. I mean, absolute freak of nature. He was the, he was the new Sean Kemp if you really want to be accurate. And, you know, with that term being spread around and all that, and then those two guys, Amari Stoudemire and Boris Dia got suspended for taking three steps off the bench onto the floor, literally doing nothing. And what comes down to the circumstance today for Draymond Green, this is a Draymond Green episode. Everyone's going to remember this as the Draymond Green episode, episode 143 on the Hooper's Log. Simo Bucket's getting his career started in the radio industry. You'll remember this episode because this is the day where I'm going to deem the NBA as something that I've been calling it for a while, but now it's official. I mean, today it's official. It is. And it's all because of the circumstances that happened in the Eastern Conference in Game 3. Uh, we're gonna, we'll recap the games for you. Um, two duds, realistically, two duds. A lot of entertainment, though. Even though the games were blowouts over the weekend, Raptors won by 15. Uh uh, Thunder won by 28, but the games were entertaining as all heck, and so many storylines, so many things to get to. And obviously, you got Game Four, the Eastern Conference Finals tonight in Toronto. Uh, Jonas Valanciunas is back on the court. Good for him. That's going to change the dichotomy of the series uh, for Toronto because now they have size down low that can match up with them. Um, but that's really the only game going on tonight. That game's on in about a half an hour if you're listening live. Again, click call in again. Phone number three two three six four two. One five five eight. Uh, we're going to dive into a lot of these topics for today, and uh, Kevin Hart's going to get it going, and uh, we're going to just dive on in, and uh, we're going to get it going. Let's get it going here right now. All right, all right, all right. We're going to learn today. Let's just recap a game. Let's just recap the Eastern Conference Finals game three real quick before we uh, get it all going. Now, first of all, Dwayne Casey got fined twenty five k for his criticism of the officials. Again, daycare center, we need it in the NBA. Kindergarten needs to happen because these guys are complaining all over the court, everything, not even them, the coaches as well. And then, obviously, the players. Uh, and you got, oh, my gosh, this media stuff going on with Draymond Green right now. I'm telling you, I'm going to get to it in a second. Uh, and if you'd like to call in and talk about the Draymond Green circumstance again, please feel free to do so. Three three six four two one five five eight is the number. And here's the circumstance uh, with what happened in the Eastern Conference Finals that leads up to the whole Draymond Green thing. Raptors win the game 99-84. Absolute domination. They, I mean, I'm telling you, the Raptors came out and absolutely dominated and stepped on the throats of the Cleveland Cavaliers and said, you're not going to sweep through the East. It's not going to be as easy as a road as you think. And they, and they came to play. They came to play. Bismack Biombo was the biggest X factor probably in NBA history with the way he played the game. You know, seven points, 26 rebounds, four points, four, four blocks, excuse me. Seven points, four blocks, 26 rebounds. Bismack Biombo was an absolute monster in this game uh, from the rebounding side of the basketball. He was unbelievable. He's absolutely unbelievable. DeMar DeRozan also showed up 32 points, 12 of 24 from the field, eight of nine from the free throw line. He's not shooting threes. He only shot one three, missed it. Four assists, five rebounds, domination by him. And then also Kyle Lowry showed up 20 points, three assists. He didn't play necessarily great, but he was efficient from the floor. And that's what this team needed. Corey Joseph, 14 points off the bench. Patrick Patterson with 10 points off the bench. He had two threes that were giant momentum swings, giant momentum keepers. 
for the Toronto Raptors. LeBron James, 24 points, eight rebounds, five assists, two blocks, an unbelievable game. Just the rest of the team did not show up. Tristan Thompson didn't do anything. Eight rebounds altogether. Kevin Love had four rebounds and three points. He was trash, straight trash by Kevin Love. J.R. Smith, 22 points. Again, he needed to shoot a lot from the three-point range to catch that. But for the most part, this was just a domination effort by the Toronto Raptors. Now, tonight is a fascinating game because if the Raptors win tonight, which they, again, like I said, Jonas Valanciunas is back on the floor. If they win tonight with Jonas Valanciunas and Wade Bismack Biombos catching on to playing, you're looking at a series. And, and, and that game on Saturday, don't get me wrong, I know that the Raptors are not as talented as the Cavs. And I think the Cavs are going to win tonight. I think the Cavs are going to win by 10-plus. But don't get me wrong. If the Cavs lose this game tonight, and even if it's close, if they lose it close, this becomes, this becomes an interesting series, a very interesting series. Because now both teams will have won at home, done their job on their home court. And don't get me wrong, this, game, this series could go home court all the way and go all the way to seven, but that's – I mean, compared to what happened in the first two games and with the way the Cavs were playing coming into the series, no one saw this coming in game three. Now, I could have told you that the, that the Raptors were going to win a game in their home state, in their home arena. I could have told you that. I think that was bound to happen. I think it was bound to be the case eventually. Now, but with the way that the Cavs played in the first two games and their first ten games in the playoffs, I just did I don't know how. I don't know how it was going to happen. And they did it, and they found a way, and they got it done. And they proved us that, that they could win a game against the Cavs. But the way they did it was so momentum-driven and dominant. I mean, they dominated the Cavs. There's no way way around it. I mean, 15 points did not do justice to how this game really went. It was a 20-point game the whole way down. And Toronto just dominated full, full-fledged, full absolute domination. And Bismack Biombo was the main factor. And DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry combined for 52 points. That's straight domination by the Toronto Raptors, and you got to give them credit. And, and tonight is a big – it's a must-win for Toronto. I mean, no debate. I mean, obviously, last game was a must-win for Toronto. Tonight's a must-win for Toronto. And if they win tonight, it then becomes a brand-new series, a three-game series with Cleveland playing two games at home. That's what it turns into. So this is a big and – and it kind of puts a little bit of – I wouldn't say it puts a lot of pressure on the Cavs, but it puts a little bit of pressure on them. You got to remember, everyone puts the the media narrative on. Oh, the Cavs! If they lose this series, they choke. No, 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 no. You got to remember, the Raptors beat the Cavs in the regular season. The Raptors were one game back of the Cavs during the regular season. And I know, and I know that the Cavs, talent-wise, are you know toenails and cuticles ahead of the uh, of the Toronto Raptors talent-wise. I get that, and I'm not debating that. If the Cavs lose this series, it definitely is a choke job. But, especially after being up 2-0 and dominating the way they did, it's definitely a choke job. But the narrative should also turn around and say, the Raptors found a way to adjust, and they won the series, if they do. Now, that's all overreaction. I, like I said, I think the Cavs still win by 10 tonight, and I think they go back home up 3-1, and they close out the series in Game 5. I think ultimately that's what's going to happen. But Jonas Valanciunas does add a little bit of a wrinkle in the way Bismack Biombo played in Game, game 3. It, it, it makes you scratch your head and think, okay, the Cavs, they, they kind of went back to earth in that game. They did. They went back to earth. They struggled. They played like humans, and, and, and they found a way to not play their game. But the main storyline that came out of this game in Game 3, and this is where it kind of leads into the whole discussion today about what happened in the news that was announced a little bit earlier ago, you know, a little bit while ago. If you'd like to call in and talk about it, 3 642 um, 
the Dante Jones hit on Bismack Biombo in the final couple of minutes, the final, final, basically the final play of the game, where it didn't mean anything. And there was a ball that was shot. Bismack Biombo kind of went up a little bit, and he didn't come quite down all the way. And all of a sudden, Dante Jones, he kind of closes his fist. He makes a play on Bismack's uh, manhood. And uh, it, it looked fairly obvious. It did. It looked fairly obvious. And it, and it didn't look great. Um, you know, it was one of those things. And it was, it was frustrating to see, you know, because you're like, man, you can't do that. But it didn't look. It didn't look necessarily obvious, but you knew the intent was there. Um, and, and it's sad to see that, that that's what's going to happen late in the game, even though a message does need to be sent. And, and it was kind of a, the wrong kind of message. Um, and that's sad. It really is. But, but, but the reason why it's so frustrating, and this leads into the Western Conference game from last night, as the Oklahoma City Thunder. Absolutely. And what I mean by that, Dante Jones got suspended for what he did. I believe he got fined, if I'm not mistaken. And if he didn't get fined, I, admit, I apologize for forgetting that. But either way, Dante Jones got suspended for the next game. Now, why it's so interesting from the perspective of, you know, Dante Jones getting suspended is what the NBA is saying is that one player is more valuable than the other when it comes to morals. That's what this breaks down to. And what I mean by that, if you, if you can't remember, if you're listening to this podcast later on down the road or if you're listening to live, what I mean by that is what the NBA is telling you after what happened. The Thunder win 133-105 to 105 last night, and it wasn't that close. This was a 40-point game at one point, 41 to be exact, at one point. And, and the Thunder, and the way the Thunder played, people are going to say, oh, the Thunder, you know, it's just a, it's just a bad game by the Warriors. Oh, no. Yes, Steph Curry had 24, and Klay Thompson didn't shoot necessarily great from the field. And, you know, Draymond Green wasn't that great, obviously, six points. He was not that great. But Kevin Durant made some, I'm telling you, away from the whole circumstance of Draymond Green today, which we're going to get to, away from that, Kevin Durant's play last night, I think there were definitely two or three moments, and there was definitely a two-play instance where you saw him make a block on one end on Draymond Green, and then come down the court on the fast break and shoot a, a transition three fading towards the rim, it felt like he hovered in midair and you heard the crowd gasp and wait for the shot to go in, and it went in, and that place exploded. That was one of the greatest plays, one of the, mo- one of the more defining Hall of Fame plays in a career of a guy like Kevin Durant I think you'll ever see. A block on the other end, a guy not known for his defense, but making the hustle play, coming down the other end and, and sticking, it to the cat, uh, sticking it to the Warriors and saying, guess what? I'm the best damn seven-footer in the NBA. Come and stop me. That was Kevin Durant last night. The guy was absolutely incredible. 30 points, 30-plus 30 points, 33 points to be exact, 10 of 15 from the field. The only three-pointer he made was that one in transition. And I'm telling you, that shot really di- dictated how the game was going to be played the rest of the way. 12 of 12 from the free throw line, eight rebounds, two assists, three blocks. Serge Ibaka, 14 points, eight rebounds. He looked like the old Serge last night. Two big blocks. Russell Westbrook, again, slowed it down, played efficient, 10 of 19 from the field, 30 points. 
12 assists. He only had four turnovers in 31 minutes played. Eight rebounds, two steals. This team, and, and the scary part is Deion Waiters, Enos Cantor, and even and even Stephen Adams, who had eight points off of two plays, you know, four of six from the free, free throw line, which is huge because if Stephen Adams can shoot well from the free throw line, it looks really good. I mean, it looks really good. And the Thunder, look, people can say all they want about how the Warriors are going to bounce back in game four. I think they will. I think the Warriors will bounce back in game four. But what I fear, what I fear about game four is this. I got a weird feeling that there's going to be a lot of animosity in that building. Look, if you didn't think that these first three games were must-see television, I think game four might be the highest-rated television game in the history of non-finals games ever. I mean, you have the whole circumstance with Draymond Green, which it was about about eh, five, four minutes left in the second half. Eh, not even that. It was, about, it was about six or seven. It was, it was a little bit later than that. It was 48-40. And Steven Adams, or Draymond Green went up for a bucket, and he flailed, and he kicked his leg into, into, into Steven Adams. And what's fascinating is it, it, it's not the fact that it was the, the isolated incident. It happened one time. If Draymond Green did what he did one time, it was a one-time circumstance then I would say, no, it's not deserving of a suspension. The problem is, this guy is already one, like two, one or two techs away from getting an automatic suspension. On top of that, in game two, he went towards the rack and did a similar thing to, you know, to, to Steven Adams the first, you know, in game two. He did it, he did it already. He's already done it. You know, and it wasn't, I will agree, it was not intentional. But then there becomes a point where, hey, you know, you got to be warned or something's got to be said about, hey, you got to control your actions on that. Or at least he definitely, with three days off between game two and game three, he knows what he did. He saw that highlight. He watched game film. He saw that highlight. I guarantee you he saw that. And knowing that he saw that, knowing that that was an incident that he could have, you know, easily could have been like, okay, I got to be a little less than, you know, because Stephen Adams getting his nuts tapped. Come on, that's man code 101. You don't do that. Look, if you walk into a man code 101 type of you know circum or classroom or whatever, and you're learning about what the man code is or man law, it's not even bro code. It's just man law. Like you don't you don't nutsack anybody. You don't nut tap anybody ever, ever, ever. Obviously not intentional in game two, but you know he saw that. You know somewhere he saw that. If he ever tells you he didn't mean to do it, and he and he. De- He's lying. It's not that he didn't mean to. It's just that he, he definitely saw it. If he denies that he saw that, he's lying to your face. And then in this, second, in this third game, after the circumstance with Dante Jones in game three the previous night, knowing that Draymond Green's an emotional player, knowing that he is what he is, something's got to be done about it. At least something. You know, I mean, maybe not specifically a suspension, but maybe uh, – and the thing is, is like, I don't I, – here's my stance on it. Draymond Green should have received the suspension. Should he have been kicked out of the game for that? No. But if the NBA comes back and says, oh, yeah, by the way, uh, by the way, you know, it was – like I said, if the NBA comes back and states that it's a flagrant two foul and that it's, it's the flagrant two foul – that he didn't get ejected. Flagrant two is an automatic ejection. Last time I checked. Last time I checked. And so now what's fascinating, and what makes it even more fascinating, is like I said, Dante Jones, you add that up, 
You add that uh, Draymond Green's an emotional player. You add up the fact that he did it in game two. All these narratives build up to what this guy's turning into, which is I wouldn't, eh, I wouldn't call him a dirty player. I would just call him a dirtbag. Draymond Green's painting the narrative that he's a flat-out dirtbag and that he's really just a giant pansy. I'd use more colorful language, but I know little kids are, watch, are listening to this show right now, and I've already said nut tap enough times on this show enough where I'm sure they're laughing their butt off hearing what I'm saying. But Draymond Green's painting himself out to be an absolute pansy of the NBA, denying that he doesn't know what he's doing, when in fact he knows exactly what he's doing. He's an emotional player. He tries to get his team rallied up, which, don't get me wrong, as a, I don't like the Warriors, but if there's one guy on the Warriors that I like, it's Draymond Green because of his hard intensity that he brings to the basketball court to make him a better player. That's part of his game. I don't knock him for that. But for something like this, the NBA has to step in. And what I come down to, in my opinion of all this, is now, you know, nine years later, after what happened to the Phoenix Suns and what happened to them and losing Amari Stoudemire, who at the time was Godzilla on the basketball court, the next Sean Kemp, everyone was saying, Boris Diaw, who had a huge factor in guarding Tim Duncan, and you had a guy like Steve Nash get his brains blown out by, by Robert Ory on the sideline, and all those guys did was take three steps off, they get a one-game suspension. When the narrative for Draymond, for Draymond Green now is a guy who is basically trying to get in the other team's head, well, now not suspending him and only giving him a $25,000 fine and rechanging the flagrant to a flagrant two and not giving him a suspension when that's warranted or at least kicking him out, you're basically saying – do whatever you want, Draymond. We're going to give the ratings. We're paying out billions of dollars for these games. Our ratings need it. If you're not playing, no one's going to watch. Everyone's going to be upset. Where? Daycare center. That's where the joke comes in. That's when it becomes an absolute joke. That's when you step into WWE territory. That's when you step into fake wrestling, and it all turns into a show and Cirque du Soleil. That's my stance on it. I love Draymond Green. I think he's awesome. I think his game is pansy-like. Don't get me wrong, but the way he plays, the intensity he plays at, it's great. But the NBA, you need to step in and make the case known that this is not okay. Guys flailing around, flopping. Whether it's an intentional act or not, he flopped to try and get a call, and it hit someone else's manhood. Come on, man. If that was done in the streets, do you know how many guys would jump Draymond Green if he did that in street basketball? I know I shouldn't compare street basketball to the NBA because I know James Harden, if he played street basketball, he would get jumped every other game. I know it would happen. We got Chris from Twitter on the line. Hey, man, how's it going? How's it going? What's your take on this whole Draymond Green thing? And, if, and what, what was your take on this entire, this entire game last night between the Thunder and the Warriors, I thought it was one of the most entertaining 28-point losses. Not from the standpoint of the Thunder to absolutely crush the Warriors. It was just entertaining from the standpoint of unbelievably executed basketball by the Thunder. But what's your take on today and that game and what you saw over the weekend, either in Eastern Conference, just this whole thing? What's your take on it, man? It, it was, first of all, the Draymond Green thing. I'm, I'm sad to say it, but he's definitely in the wrong. Because he's one of my favorite players. I've been a fan since he was at Michigan State, and I knew he would be this good. But 
kicking somebody like that, man. If you look back at the video, he clearly looked down at him when he kicked him. It was obvious, um, especially with the league suspending um, Jones the day before. They definitely yeah. should have, you know, went all the way with Draymond. But um, I feel like he's getting the star treatment. You know, I feel like the NBA is making a smart move so that um, – well, smart depending on how you look at it, but they're making a move to where um, basically they want the best players for both teams to be on the court, you know, because um, they don't really care about Dante Jones as much. Nobody really knows what number he wears, but people hate Draymond Green. He's like the villain of the Warriors, you know. People love to hate him, so they they, they yeah. feel like they'll get more ratings with him out there. You know, he's getting more uh, more and more attention. Um, it's it's sad, man. It's really frustrating that he makes these type of decisions because I think that he's one of the guys in the league that has a, one of the best motors, you know? Like, like oh, he yeah. plays with so much heart and intensity, and it's hard to get that out of NBA players. You know, he had it in college, and he brought it to the league with him. He plays with it every single game. doesn't have athleticism as Westbrook, but he plays with the same heart and intensity. But sometimes I yeah. think he just gets a little misunderstood because of his other antics, arguing with the refs or the complaining. and just It takes away from everything else that he does on the court. So I just wish he I could agree. dial part of that back. If he could dial part of that, uh, his attitude, just dial it back some, you know, just tone it down a little bit. It'll Then he'll be easier to accept, you know, and I'm not saying he has to play for acceptance, but it'll be, he would, the referees wouldn't target him so much. If he, he caused a lot of issues for himself. He gets in his own way. Like Boogie Cousins, he gets in his own way. You know, yeah. it's just it, those like they are kind of like the same type of player, man. And it's just it, it's 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 sad to see him do that, man. But I think that the, I, seeing that he had one against the Rockets of the same nature, if he has a third one, it would be a bigger fine plus a suspension, guaranteed, no doubt. What's frustrating, and I, and this is where I want to get your take though, and I agree with you on Draymond Green, hundred percent. Like people have him misunderstood when they see his type of game and they don't like him because of he's this, he's that. And he is an unbelievable player. He is in his, in his improvement. If you were to take out one player in the NBA and make him the most improved player for a three-year stretch, it's, I think all time, it might be Draymond Green. I mean, this yes. guy, people don't remember, people don't remember this guy on like, I remember playing 2K like two, three years ago when I was in college. This guy was like, bottom of the bench Matt Bonnard status that's what this guy was this guy was a nobody and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden over the years over the years this guy turned into a guy who you know kind of started playing a bench role you know especially in 2013 a little bit more of a bench role came in played 10-15 minutes a game wasn't was impactful but nothing crazy and he was more of just kind of a body on the floor that was length and just used him as that. And then the next year he kind of stepped in a little bit, and he was he was a starter-ish, eh, but he definitely improved. Then last year he de- he took massive steps last year again in becoming a legitimate starter, a guy who you could rely on down the stretch to hit you some shots, maybe make some post-up moves, definitely give you some passing range. Now it's like he's got his own ability to get to the rim. He can pass at every single angle. He's a big piece of this offense. Defensively, he's terrifying. He's always been a decent defender, but now he's a terrifying mm-hmm. defender. And he's just his, 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 his improvement is what is so unconscionably great. It's, it's one of the greatest improvements I've ever seen out of an NBA player just because he went from nothing to now where he's at. And you've got to give him credit for that. And his, I think his attitude and all that is great because of his improvement. But now, and it's kind of it's kind of the added as you just said. 
Now, maybe not this year, but definitely walking into next season, the guy's got to come at it like he's been there before. This guy is now, in my opinion, a top 10 NBA player. And knowing that, especially with this ruling today, with this whole thing, knowing that this guy is a top 10 player, in my opinion, he's got to act like it. Not to say that he needs to tone down his intensity, not to say he's got to tone down, but his emotions on the court that are so, you know, kind of crybaby-ish, if he just slowed that down, I don't know how this guy's not one of the more favorable players in the league, just from that perspective. But outside of that, he's, he's unbelievable, but the point I'm making is, and you make a great point, that again, Dante Jones, not as, obviously, obviously not as big of a role, but here, I like to switch the narrative on you. You know, I just mentioned it, Draymond Green, three, four years ago, was a guy who, let's be honest, was in the same exact shoes as Dante Jones. He was. He was a guy that came off the bench and played three to four minutes a game. He kind of filled in in garbage time or in break times to kind of fill a third string on the, on the team. And, you know, and what's fascinating is, is you, and I get it. Again, Donnie Jones not good, but, but Draymond Green was in the same circumstance a while back. But now the league is, is basically saying – Knowing that what Dante Jones did, which you can argue, if you really look at it, I know he he closed his fist and he did what he did, but it was it was kind of you know uh, he, it was kind of the same argument you can make for Draymond Green. It didn't look intentional, but definitely it was there and obvious, clear as day. But yet he gets a one game suspension, and then Draymond Green, all he gets is a slap on the now it's a big slap on the wrist because again, if he does one more tech, he's gone, like gone um, for the next game guaranteed. But it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, if LeBron James were to all of a sudden, let's say LeBron James just lost his cool and, you know, barely shoved the guy and, and kind of got on his face. Okay, remember when LeBron James dunked on, uh, who I think it was, Isaiah, uh, that, that dunk he made on the Boston Celtics, what was it, three, four years Jason ago? Jason Perry. And he, and, oh, my God. Yes, that was, that, he, that was one of the craziest, that was one of the craziest, crazy, I mean, if that dunk happened in the park, I think Jason Terry would actually die. Like, I think he would have died. Because people would have oh, been laughing at him forever. Like, that's the kind of – it was one of the craziest dunks you've ever seen. But the way LeBron stared over Jason Terry, if that happened now, he might get suspended. Like, I'm not even joking. He might get suspended for doing something like that. See, that's my issue with – that's one of my issues with the NBA. Is it's kind of getting a little too soft. Like, you shouldn't get it. I, yeah. I personally feel you should not get a technical for looking at somebody. Now, something you say or – uh, some physical contact, that should cause you to get a tech. But if you just stare somebody down, you shouldn't get a tech for that. That's just that's, – that, that's making it unnecessarily soft. Like, it's, it, it right. shouldn't be that soft. Like, it, they don't even do that in WNBA. Like, come on, we can't do it in NBA. We don't need players getting technical fouls for just looking at somebody. That was, And I remember when LeBron – because he dumped on him and he kind of looked at looked down on him for a second, like, oh. I'll own you. And – and the crowd just, yeah. everybody just went insane. It was in Boston, too, and some yeah. fans still went insane. It was just a great play. And if it's a great play, like, I think that with the tight cuffs that they're putting on players now, it takes away from the celebration and the fun in the game. Like, remember when Sean Kemp dunked on old boy and it pointed out? Oh, yeah. Like, that's yeah. just uh, – it, it, it's legendary. It's historical. We need that in the game. And taking, taking that away just kind of kills part of the game, man. It does, and it does, and, and but see, and that's where that's where I have the problem with the Dante Jones thing because and remember what Charles Barkley said about what did he say? It was it was about a week ago, two weeks ago, where he said send a message for the Hawks when the when the Cavs just were raining three pointers oh, yeah. in Atlanta, 
And and he said, send a message. Don't hurt him, but send a message. Now, I don't think Dante Jones, If obviously I think there was intent, but I don't think his intent was to necessarily hit Biombo below the belt. I don't think anyone wants to do that. I think his intention was to hit him in a hard spot in, in the gut and say, guess what, guy? We're here. We're still here. We're going to send a message going into the next game. You got us in this one. But don't think like that little shot was basically saying, hey, look, guess what? We're coming back in game four, and you can't do crap about it. That's what I think that was about. Unfortunately, he hit him in the wrong spot. And Draymond Green obviously flailed and tried to make this kind of play. But like you said, he looked down right when he flung his leg up, and it was like, how is this not obvious? And that's why I get to my point. Like, if, if LeBron James, when he stares at Jason Terry and does what he does, he gets a tech, everyone starts freaking out because they think everyone's going to get into a fight because it's this, you know, this, this moment – but the moment Steph Curry shoots a three and stares at Serge Ibaka when the ball's only like three quarters, uh, two, one quarter of the way there, everyone thinks it's okay. The narrative is dictating what's going on in the NBA. It's turning into the WWE. That's what the WWE is. They, 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 they get dictated by the narrative. They don't get dictated by what, what morals and what's right for the game and what's this for the game. It's the narrative that dictates things. Draymond Green is on the quote-unquote lovable Warriors, which, thank God, and I'm starting to feel a little bit better about myself because I was starting to go a little crazy here the last week or so, but thank God the national media is starting to recognize that the, what the Warriors are doing is so conky, cocky, pompous, and arrogant that they're, they're, they're starting to stare down people, they're yelling at the refs, they're thinking that they're this. Steve Kerr's body language is changing so drastically throughout each press conference. He thinks he knows everything. Not that I don't like just like Steve Kerr, but his body language is so like we're the we're the we're the blank. If you don't think we're the blank, then get out of here. And they are, they're great, but their body language is so off the charts control like this. And that's fine. They're a great team. They're a great player. The scrutiny is all time high. But like what they do on the court at times, like when Steph Curry does his thing, if LeBron did that, oh my god. If the war if if the Cavs Oh, oh, for the grace of God, if the Warriors, the Cavs, or the Heat back in the day, if they did anything like the Warriors did right now, everyone would be like, oh, the world's ending, Trump's being president, what's going on? That's exactly what would happen. But when the Warriors do it, oh, you know, they're lovable, they have these great morals, they have this, this. No, they're, conk, they're cocky, arrogant, and, and pop. They're, they're everything that I don't think people want to see. But since they're so great, they're lovable, they they're the, the, have that underdog feel to them because they're not as physically imposing. It's such a weird thing, and the league is just feeding into it because that's where they're getting that. Look, and unfortunately, unfortunately, the league has to feed into it because this is what's making the, the generic fan turn on their television and see what's this warrior thing about because the TV deals that were signed two years ago are so outrageously high that the league is now starting to dig into every single pocket that they possibly can to say, look at us. We need it. We're desperate. If it was three, four years ago, I think this warrior love would be so, so much lower than it is. And I think people would recognize that what they're doing is so, so just ridiculous from the standpoint of their play on the court. Granted, the NBA is an emotional sport. I love that it's an emotional sport. I just hate the fact that the narrative gets switched to a team just because they're quote-unquote lovable. But I get the NBA's feeding into it. But I just hate that that narrative has changed. And with this dream on green thing and with what Dante Jones did, I think what Dante Jones did, and again, I agree, he should be suspended. But I think the same thing should be warranted for Draymond Green. Now, I know that the ratings, they need the ratings for Draymond Green. 
But at the same time, you could also paint the narrative that if Draymond Green, from the moral perspective, if he got, if he got suspended and was suspended for game four, and you step in, and you, all you have is Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, you talk about changing to a new narrative. Now, look, I am a Steph Curry hater. I'll never stop hating Steph Curry until he keeps doing what he's doing. If he does this for the next three years, I ain't going to hate him anymore. I believe you that. But it's one of those <laughs> things, right? He's got to grow. He's got to grow on me. It's like Dirk Nowitzki. I, oh, my God. You want to talk about Chris. This, this hatred I had for Dirk Nowitzki when I was younger, I hated the guy because he was the softest seven-footer I ever saw. Since when did you ever see before, you know, the 2000 era, a, a seven-footer going 18 feet from the basket shooting fadeaways with his foot out? That's not fair. That's not what seven-footers do. That wasn't the mentality back then. He's grown on me. He keeps doing it. For God's sakes, he's a top ten, almost top five scorer all time. I can't hate the guy. It's unbelievable. Dirk is an all-time legend. In my opinion, he might be more talented from an offensive perspective than Tim Duncan. He might be better offensively all-time than Tim Duncan just because he's kept doing it. It's unbelievable. But he's grown on me, and he's been great. It's the same thing with Steph Curry. He keeps doing it. He does it at this rate. He does it at this clip. He'll definitely grow on me. He kind of already is. But it's one of those things where you change that narrative. If Draymond Green leaves for game four, if Steph Curry and Klay Thompson – find a way to prevent themselves from going down 3-1, and they tie the series 2-2, and Steph Curry goes off for 45 without Draymond, that becomes a signature, legendary moment in Steph Curry's career. I don't think anyone would doubt that. But if you took Draymond Green off the court, where many people like myself would think that Draymond Green is the actual MVP of this team, and Steph Curry found a way to single-handedly, now with Clay's help, obviously, but if they found a way to single-handedly, and Steph Curry goes off for 40, 45 in this one, and has so many signature moments, kind of like Kevin Durant last night, so many signature moments, you step back, especially me, I'll step back and I'll be like, without Draymond, on the road, down 2-1, pivotal Western Conference Finals, trying to you know, encapsulate history and keep the 73-9 and record to get to the finals, to tie it up, to get back home court, without your supposed-to-be MVP on your team, Draymond Green, and Clay, and especially if Steph, carry the load and get it done, that is when that right there is MJ-esque. I don't care what you say. If you took Scottie Pippen off the Bulls because for, for something he might have done, and you suspend Scottie Pippen in, you know, I would say the early portions of the, of the, of the six championships in, like, his maybe year one or year two, especially one of the years that they played, like the Lakers, or maybe even in Phoenix when they played against the Suns, and you took Scottie Pippen off that, and you had to have Michael Jordan without Scottie Pippen playing Charles Barkley in the finals, and he had to carry and win it and do it, that's what adds to legendary status. If Steph would have had that narrative and allowed that narrative, then you're talking about, okay, Steph Curry haters got to shut up. I would have shut up. I'm telling you that. I would have shut up. If Steph goes off for 45 without Draymond Green on the road, backs against the wall, needing it to not go down 3-1, that's when I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this guy's legendary. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm, I'm gonna, I might even move him up a couple notches in my list of where I got him. I got Steph Curry top 15 all time. I might, I might just sneak him in at number 10 if he does what he did, if, if that would have been the, the circumstance. But now you allow Draymond Green to come back, and the message is now for many people with moralistic intentions, great moralistic intentions, thinking this guy's given another shot to go out and do pretty much what he did the first two games, which was knee Steven Adam in the nuts. It's, 
it's frustrating because it's like, man, the narrative is dictating this whole thing. And, and, and we all know it's all money-based. We all know it's money-related. Um, but, it, it, but from that perspective, look, we, we, you got to give – at the same time, though, no one's really talking about how the, how the Warriors just absolutely flat out gave up last night. I mean, and I said it so many times on Twitter. I can't mention how many – every – look, I've watched enough basketball in my life to know when I see something legendary, and, and I said it multiple times on Twitter, and I know you saw it too, Chris, but when Kevin Durant is – like late – and this was late in the game. When Kevin Durant is driving – like in the third quarter, because they didn't play in the fourth. When Kevin Durant is driving down the lane on a fast break – at seven feet tall, you have to recognize that center of gravity is much more favorable with smaller players. When you're seven feet tall, your center of gravity gets very little, and basically if you move an extra ounce with your momentum going at that speed, you're carrying about 180 to 200 pounds of your upper body down with you because that's just the nature of center of gravity. When Kevin Durant is going down the lane on a one-man fast break, one-on-four, and all of a sudden – he drives in the lane and somehow shifts his momentum to slow down and find a way to get a layup with three guys on him and to do what he did. Now, I understand he's taller, but it's the momentum. And if you've ever played, if anyone's ever played basketball, and if you're running full speed down the court, and we're all smaller people, we're not Kevin Durant, and you're a smaller human being, and you run, you realize that stopping on a dime and slowing yourself down without traveling or doing something extra or even throwing the ball off the backboard like it's like a freaking wall, you'll recognize that it's very insane what, how it is these guys do it. And to see Kevin Durant do it at seven feet tall, do that, slow himself up on a dime with four guys on him in the lane, three guys guarding him, it, and, and to finish with smooth ease and transition, that is like – that is like I was telling everyone I was, I was watching the game. I'm like, this is the most ridiculous. Like, I have. I mean, I see LeBron do it, but LeBron more or less jams and finishes. I mean, KD is stopping in the lane, throwing up layups that are falling with grace. That is, that is stupid. Like that right there, that one part where he's running down the lane in fast break, finishing, and he's slowing up doing this, and he's making it easy. That's we will never see that. Like I, I don't think. We're ever going to see another player do something like that, ever, going, going down the I, lane like that. And then also a guy like Russell, what, what, what's up? I totally agree with you with Kevin Durant. His, his finesse is just, it's ridiculous how, how, big, how he's that big and can still score from 30 with such ease and a touch and be able to get to the rim. And I actually wrote about it on my website, uh, simplyhoops.sportsblog.com. Yeah. Uh, I just basically asked, I had a poll and I asked a question, like, do you think Kevin Durant will finish in the top 10 in this all-time scoring list? And I think the way he scores, um, I really believe that he could do it. I really do believe that he could catch some of those guys up there because Durant can pour in buckets, man. And imagine if yes. Westbrook can continue to play under control and give the ball to Durant more oh, like God. he has since they've gotten better. Cool. Like, it's frightening, and that's the only thing that stopped Durant from being more elusive before is Westbrook kind of got in the way. But now that yep. Westbrook is not in his way as much and he's more so helping him score, it's just when Russell, like I said, when Russell Westbrook plays under control, the Thunder are a terrifying team. And now they have Cancer and Adams together, it's just because when they all play together and KD is kind of like the main scorer and Westbrook is okay facilitating and rebounding, it's, it's, it's bad, man. It's bad. 
KD. I, I, yeah. I think KD has a chance to be top five scorer all time. I really believe that because he yeah. – like, I actually met him at the Drew League, and that dude is definitely seven feet tall, definitely, because I'm 6'4", yeah. so I know he's seven feet, man. That dude is – oh, my God. It's just – it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, and the craziest part about it, too, is whenever – like, you, you get that feeling, like, when you watch games, like – and I get the same – obviously, I get the feeling with Russell Westbrook. When I watch KD at times, I sit there, and, I, and I'm like, this guy just, just – this like, it, 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 it's like people – it's funny when I hear people – not people don't really criticize KD because how he scores is so ridiculous. But the thing I hear when people say and – they, and they watch it, and they're like, yeah, that, that just happened. I'm like, no, you don't – you don't get – like – you don't get it. This is a seven-foot human being who can turn around. He can, like, every time he shoots a three-pointer and he stops on a dime after coming around curls and screens, and he just stops on a dime and he shoots it straight up. I'm like, that is a seven-foot human being stopping on a dime and shooting straight up, and it's easy money. Like, that is, that is unstoppable. Like, this guy is, is probably, when it all said and done, when he retires – will be the most unstoppable force in the, in, the, in the history of the game. I mean, we talk about Kareem in the hook shot. We talk about Wilt and his dominance early on. In the, in the, in, but, I mean, when you talk about, and obviously Dirk's, Dirk's shot, but when you talk about just overall game, Kevin Durant, when he's on, you can't I, – I mean, outside of – okay, the only guy I will ever probably debate Kevin Durant of when it comes to offensive moves and skill and, and, and ability is Melo. But Melo only shows up once every ten games. Kevin Durant, oh, yeah. in those Kevin Durant in those ten games will probably give you seven or eight of those games. Well, Melo will give you one. But in that one game that Melo shows up, Melo is probably the greatest scorer I've ever seen. But that's again that is that is like watching an, an eclipse. It is a rare thing. When it happens, though, you can't stop Melo. <laughs> Melo can go. Melo can go down low, and he can bang with anybody. His anybody, anybody. He can bang with Shaq. He can bang with anybody because he can do that. And then when his jumper's hitting, it's over. Like it's, it's flat out over. You 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 can't stop him. When he scored that sixty-two in the Garden, it was over. Like it was the moment he was making those shots. There's, I mean, I was sitting there watching it like on YouTube. And you can still watch it on YouTube. I just sit there and I'm like, you can't guard him. Like you can't guard him. You can't guard him. KD. Obviously, his jumper is, is way better than Melo's. I won't ever deny that. His jumper is way more effective than Melo's. But when it comes to down-low presence, KD still has to figure that out. He shoots it like Dirk down low, and he's definitely getting better at it. But yes. Kevin Durant, though, as a scorer, is, is, is absolutely insane. Uh, uh, Russell Westbrook, again, and, and every time I see Russell Westbrook take a one-legged jump from, you know, basically the, 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 the dotted line area from the free throw line in transition – off the glass, uh, off angle, off the glass, around a defender, I, I, I still stand up and I'm like, I, that's just stupid. Like, I don't I, – that is just absolute insanity to see a guy 6'3", running full force, probably at 25 miles an hour, straight to the hoop, off angle, off one foot. And you see his ankle – you see his ankle, like, really twist when he does it, and his shoes completely deform when he does – this guy is a absolute freak of nature. And like you said, 30 points last night, 12 assists, 8 rebounds, and a couple of those assists, especially to Kevin Durant in the lane, where I saw Kevin Durant jump from one foot inside the, 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 uh, the paint, and he dunked it over, like, two guys on the, on, the, on the Warriors last night. It was just absolute insanity. And that kind of stuff last night that the Thunder provided is what I think will ultimately – bring the Warriors down of their chance to do what they want to do this season and winning an NBA championship. And, and I think especially 
going into tomorrow. Because obviously tonight is game three of the Western, the Eastern Conference Finals between uh, LeBron and, and Toronto uh, for game four. It's a big game for them because Jonas Valanciunas is going. But tomorrow is, it, I think, and I've said this, I think this is going to be a game where outside of an NBA Finals game rating, I think this might be one of the highest rated games in a long time from the standpoint of everyone's on the cusp of history for the, for the Warriors. If the Warriors lose tomorrow, the series is over. It's over. I mean, there's no way the Warriors can come back in three games. And if they do, it would just add to the legacy. But being down 3-1 to Oklahoma City will kill it. I think tomorrow, unless there's a game seven, will be a game that will be one of the highest-rated games in NBA history because of the, the, the Draymond Green saga, um, the, the Warriors and their struggles on the road, how well the Thunder are playing. Look, like I said, last night, 28-point victory for the Thunder, and it was one of the most entertaining 28-point games I've ever seen because of all these spectacular plays, guys hitting from the outside. The Thunder were beautiful to watch. They actually played very well team basketball, and even the Warriors made some great team basketball plays. They just didn't make their shots. That was just the difference. So last night was an incredible night, even though it was definitely a blowout type of night. Chris, before we get on out of here and get things going, what do you think is going to happen tonight between the, uh, between the Cavs and Raptors, and what do you see happening tomorrow? Um, I think that uh, Valencia Yunus, is, he's probably playing, but I don't think he'll be doing too much. You know, I think he'll be kind of, yeah. you know, just trying to get back in the swing of things. People forget when Curry came back after two weeks of not playing, him dropping 40 was just insane. People don't understand yes. How, yes. how hard that is. Like, after three days of not being in the gym shooting, you're going to be rusty. He took two weeks off and came back and just lit the Blazers up. And Valencia, I don't think he has that in. And I don't see DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry being uh, consistent this game. But um, I think the Cavs win this one close. I think it'll be close, and the Cavs take it by, like, maybe maybe 10. Um, I think tomorrow, um, and it's going to be a close game tomorrow, I think the Warriors uh, and the coaching staff will review the game film and see what they did wrong and go back and change some things. Because people seem to forget that everybody's saying, oh, this series is over, this series is over. The Warriors no. haven't lost two games in a row all season. All season. Right. Like, all season. And every and they haven't lost uh, – wait, the, are the, the Thunder only beat them, uh, beat them twice. And uh, the Blazers beat them twice out of the whole season. Like, they aren't losing to teams like that. They lose and then they go to the drawing board, make changes, come back, and they demolish you. So, I think the Warriors are going to win tomorrow by, I think, I would say nine. I think it'll be a good one. Warriors by nine, man. I think it'll be, it's, yeah. like you said, tomorrow is probably going to be the biggest game of the season, in my opinion. The biggest game now. I just think from the perspective of what we're going to see tomorrow, and right now uh, the, war, the right now the, the the Raptors are up eighteen seventeen with about four and a half left in the first quarter. Obviously a close game there, like you said. Um, but I think tomorrow is is a game, and I said this going into Game Three for the Western Conference Finals. I expected the I expected the Thunder to win by eight. I didn't expect them to win by twenty eight. I expected them to win by eight because they're going back home. They're going to bounce back. Everyone was saying, "Oh, the Warriors are now going to win in six. I'm like, "Oh." Slowly roll. Like, this is a seven-game series. I believe it's still going to go seven. 
But last night was just the Thunder really playing unbelievable and also the fact that the Warriors did struggle. They, they did struggle, but the, you have to give credit to the Thunder. I think if the Warriors would have showed up and played shot better from the field, I think the Warriors – I think the Thunder would have won by still by 10 or 15. They still played that unbelievable. Um, but outside of that, I agree with you. I think going into game four – and again, I, look, I really don't know because I, my, my – I've been watching basketball long enough, especially as a Spurs fan. I've been watching basketball long enough to kind of know and get a feel for what's going to happen, especially after three games and maybe even halfway through the fourth game. I really know what, like, who is the better team? Like, who is the better team? Now, does that mean they're going to necessarily win the series? No, because fluky things happen. But from the standpoint of I know who's the more talented team by watching it, and, and after watching this series so far, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's anyone's nature to not think that the Thunder are more talented but the Warriors, when they put it all together in a game plan, we've seen it, 73-9. and nine. And, and throughout this playoffs, I mean, they're now, what, 81-12, and 81-13? and 12, 81 and 13? That's stupid. Like, that's just dumb. But, but the knowing what they've done, what the Warriors have done this season, and seeing how they've found ways to bounce back, and every single time they've faced adversity, any kind of adversity, after a loss, whatever you name it, they've found ways to win. And, and I think going into this game, and, and I, 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 I think – I think I think the Warriors win by five. I think this is going to be. You say they're going to win by nine. That's a really good prediction. Five nine. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's going to add down the stretch game. The Warriors really do need to find a way to really adjust. Because last night in that game, the Thunder found a way to play small, and they really confused the Warriors uh, midway through the third quarter when they extended their lead. Because it was only like a fifteen. Oh no, it wasn't a fifteen point game. But but with forty minutes, you know, when it was forty forty. And then the Thunder went on their crazy run to really finish out the ball game. Uh, the Thunder found ways to make adjustments and make a, and, and make adjustments defensively to make the Warriors uncomfortable. That's what the Warriors need to fin- figure out and, and figure out ways to adjust towards. If they do that, it will be a much better ball game. Defensively, the Warriors will bounce back because good offense sometimes leads to better play on the defensive side of the ball. The Warriors just didn't play good offense last night. They just they just they just kind of lackluster defensively late, especially in the second half. But if they find a way to play better offense uh, this game and adjust and obviously find ways to, to figure out how to slow down Russell. Look, if Russell Westbrook's hitting his mid-range jumper, it's, it's lights out. If Kevin Durant's hitting shots from the outside, it's lights out. That's, that's just how it goes in the NBA. Sometimes you just got to tip your hat. But it's the same thing for the Warriors. If Steph Curry's, if Steph Curry's hitting, his, hitting his, his dance three, his dance dance shot three-pointer, and Clay Thompson's getting easy buckets on the perimeter and making them, because I'm telling you, Clay Thompson last night, after watching what he did last night, especially in the first quarter and a half, I was sitting there and I was like, this boy might be the best shooting guard in the league. I mean, people talk about James Harden and his offensive capabilities, Jimmy Butler and what he can do, a couple other shooting guards out there. I'm probably not mentioning DeMar DeRozan when he's hot, obviously not anymore after what he's done this playoffs. But Clay Thompson this postseason – is really starting to turn into, and, and quietly, might I add, quietly probably the best shooting guard in the NBA. And it's all, look, if you took Steph Curry off the Warriors, I think Klay Thompson would still find a way to be a big-time ta- big name. He's not just a guy who's there sidekicking Steph Curry. He's a guy who's step-for-step step with Steph Curry. I mean, he's right there with him when it comes to shooting the ball on the outside, creating offensive capabilities. It is an unbelievable thing we're seeing from Klay Thompson, and he is just only matching that. As he goes forward, I believe Chris fell off the line, um, but that's really what we got going on here. Uh, again, Eastern Conference Finals Game Four going on right now, uh, and 
we are out of here for today. We got about mm, we got a couple, a little bit more minutes on the show. If you'd like to call in and talk about the Dream on Green thing, please feel free to do so. Again, the phone number three two three six four two one five five eight. Some programming notes: um, we will be next week uh, when we start right around the time the NBA Finals comes out. We will be doing shows Tuesday through Thursday, through Tuesday and Thursday in June. All of June, we're going to be doing Tuesday Thursday shows. This is the last week for Monday, Wednesday, Friday. If you'd like to call in on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, please feel free to do so. I will be guest, guest, uh, be guest on some shows down the stretch. And if you'd like to listen to me there, uh, I'll find a way to get a link out on my Twitter. My Twitter is at CMOBuckets253. Uh, thank you again for listening. For those of you uh, who are interested and interested in listening to the show, we got another one coming up on Wednesday. Episode 143 is in the books. Yes, 143 in the books. 144 will be on Wednesday, May 25th, 2016. We're, go- we're down the stretch in the conference finals. We're coming down the stretch. Oh, one thing before I go. The Lakers. Brian Shaw. Are you serious? We'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll talk more about the Brian Shaw hiring tomorrow. Or, excuse me, on Wednesday on uh, May 25th, 2016. Episode 143 in the books. Episode 144 on Wednesday. Thank you for listening, everybody. Same time, same place, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Go enjoy the Eastern Conference Finals and definitely get your popcorn ready for the Western Conference Finals on Tuesday. Thank you again for listening, everybody. Have a good one.